Welcome to the Housewife of Horrors podcast. And welcome back. We kind of took a hiatus a couple, for a couple weeks because we, we as in Evil and I, we took a trip to the Pacific Northwest to go visit Seattle, take in some sights and stuff. And when I got back, I was just completely not prepared to do a show. So I apologize for the hiatus there. How are you doing, Evil? I'm here with my ever faithful companion, Evil from 3B Video. Uh, the jet lag is a real thing. I wasn't sure I was going to believe it, but uh, yeah, you could definitely feel it after uh, several hour uh, plane flight. All right. Well, uh, before we get to the show, last episode we did uh, Roland T. O Owen, um, Artemis Ogletree, and I said that I had a story to tell when I kind of got to the cemetery part of it, and I totally spaced off the story I was going to tell. That's probably my fault. So, um, okay, when I went to the cemetery and the cemetery manager, Ron, was like super cool with us, he told us a story about how when they started breaking ground for Schlitterbahn, they started digging up bodies. Schlitterbahn was a water park, but it unfortunately closed due to a litany of problems, starting with... A beheading. Yes, uh, a little boy, unfortunately, was decapitated due to... When they built the place, they did not hire engineers to build this shit. So they had just a bunch of guys getting together, making a world's tallest water slide, which resulted in the death of a child. But then uh, there was some drug issues with the owner. It was a big whole ordeal. But anyway, when they were breaking ground, uh, they started digging up bodies and they're like, holy shit. So then they started kind of doing some research and found out that it was a potter's field. Like, there was the Wyandotte County Cemetery that is there, but they didn't know exactly how far it extended out because the cemetery only has two stones to mark any graves and all the others, which they don't even know how many. They know uh, they have a record of 541, but that's just what they have record of. And we all know how sometimes when... Things change hands. Not everybody keeps same records as the records before. So there could be upwards of more bodies there. I was thinking it was a poltergeist situation where they moved the headstones but didn't move the bodies type thing. Okay, so we all know this now because, you know, the water park has since been dismantled and lawsuits are, you know, have come out and everything. But I personally thought that when they dug up these graves... By accident, of course, but they stirred up some bad juju because that water park had nothing but fucking problems since the day it opened. Like, all the test rides that they did with, like, the rafts and sandbags in it, those things were, like, going airborne, and it just was not safe from day one, and it was nothing but problems. And I blame, of course, now I blame the lack of, you know, professional engineers, but for a while it's like, mm, they dug up a cemetery, yeah, that ain't good. You only move the headstones, but you didn't move the bodies. You only move the headstones. So I did do some digging and tried to find something to corroborate that story, in which I did actually find uh, a few things out there. If you kind of search the cemetery name more than just Schlitterbahn, because when you search 
search Schlitterbahn. Easy to see. Uh, it's going to be nothing about that. It's nothing but articles about the boy and then the closing of the park. Uh, which, by the way, they want to turn that area now into the Margaritaville Resort. So, oh, not Pina Coladaberg. No, no. Even though it was on the map seven and a half fucking years before Margaritaville was even written. So, on that note, uh, I just remembered and made myself a reminder to say uh, last episode. I was like, oh, I got a story, and then I totally never even got to the story. So, for those who were waiting to hear the story. That was the story. What a wait for that story. <laughs> All right. And now on to this, this episode, which, okay, I heard about this case on, it was some kind of, it was a Watch Mojo countdown. And I think it was like top 10 serial killers you've never heard of or top 10 serial killers that were never caught. Which it, immediately prompted you to go, try it. So, um, on that note, I actually had never heard of this case until that countdown, which maybe that was a few months ago. And I do, I thought the name sounded cool. I put it on my list. I'm like, I'm going to do this. And then I started getting into the details and it's like, holy shit, we need a disclaimer for this show because this is, this is probably one of the worst cases I will ever report on. Um, but <laughs> Ooh, I, I do want to preface this podcast with the disclaimer due to the brutality of the murders, the age of the victims and what happened to the victims. So we're marking this show NSFW. This is very not safe for public listening in an office because we are going to be talking about some brutal. Is it borderline NSFL? Yes, like I'm reading this and as I'm doing my notes, I'm like, Jesus, I don't know if I can get through this. So we're going to give it our best bet. Mild disclaimer, we're doing all this right before dinner time too. So yeah, I have a lasagna in the oven, so there might be a beep here soon. Prime pre-food talk. So let's, let's get into this tale of murder. Most foul, might I add. So this takes place. The time is 1972 the place new york city it is now march 9th 1972 when this all begins and it starts oh i never even said the name of the case my bad this is the case of charlie Chopoff. Oh, i thought you were just setting a setting a mood scene there i was just i was into it so um the the city isn't gripped and actually i shouldn't say city it's more like a neighborhood like the harlem area that is just gripped with fear and you're going to realize why here real soon hell yeah i'd be afraid too is that a last official last name or is that a nickname not you know the we will get into how (laughs) the killer got his name oh he's not None of the Northampton chop-offs? No. So when this all starts out, it's just, uh, I don't want to get into it, but we're going to get into it now. So anyway, um, Douglas Owens uh, was an eight-year-old black boy. Unfortunately, their color does play into this. So um, anyway, he lived in the Harlem neighborhood and he was found, uh, unfortunately, dead. Uh, He was found on the building rooftop of East 121st Street. Uh, It was a couple blocks from where his home was, and he was found with his shoes removed. Um, 
so when I throw in some odd details, this is going to be something that's kind of throughout this whole thing. You're not just throwing it in there to curveball us? No, I didn't want to throw in there. They removed his shoes, and it's like, what purpose does that serve? Nothing it actually does. So anyway, the autopsy of Douglas's body showed that he was stabbed 38 times, with the majority of his wounds being on his chest and neck. Mm. And this is where things start to get heavy. Um, the young man's genitals were sliced open. Yes. And this only gets worse. Oh, cool. So police believe that with the closeness of the attack, the brutality of the murder and the all around personal nature that his murder was a personal attack. I would say so. It definitely lends to personal anger or hatred type stuff. Well, with no physical evidence at the scene to go on and no witnesses that saw anything suspicious at the time, police start questioning anybody and everybody who knew the little boy Douglas. Um, we're going to fast forward to just, uh, let's see, where were we? March. We're going mid-April, April 20th to be exact, 1972. Another black boy, this one was not named through all my research, so, um, but he's not named for a reason. So, anyway, another African-American boy, this one 10 years old, was brutally attacked, his shoes removed. However, this boy survived. So, I think that's why he was never named, because he survived. Uh, the, we got a motif going. Of we do. We have... Uh, young a pattern boys of age, color and some weird shit with shoes well um anyway the attack took place in the hallway of an apartment building on the west side the boy had been stabbed sexually assaulted and his penis cut off um it was located in a park. It didn't say how far away the park was, but a police a police officer saw a group of boys gathering around and playing with something. And upon further research, uh, upon further inspection, it was discovered to be the little boy's removed appendage. So that was... Wait, the kids were playing with it? Yes. It was... The attacker cut it off. And uh, dropped it in a park. Yeah, I, I followed up to that point. And yes, there were children at the park playing with it. Yeah, that's where I was like... Did like, I... they were poking it with sticks and shit. Okay, I was just like, did I fall asleep for a hot minute and be like, where did we get to this part of it where it's being played with like a kickball or some shit? Okay, go on. <laughs> okay, so the little boy was able to give some details and description about the attack. He told the police that it was a thin, Italian-Hispanic-complected man with pockmarked skin and a mole on his left cheek. He walked with a limp and told the boy his name was Michael. He tried to entice him with, hey, come over here and I'll give you 50 cents kind of a thing. And that's when the attack ensued. So uh, there was a sketch of the attacker, but it wasn't very detailed due to the trauma that the boy endured. Um Italian, I would not have guessed. Well, it, he wasn't, I don't want to say he wasn't like a white man. He He's not like a white, white man. He kind of had, you know, a darker complexion. Like they said, in, in I'm actually kind of almost 
saying word for word what they're saying, but instead of Mexican or Italian, I changed it around to Italian or Mexican. So that was their verbiage, not mine. Uh, of course, the police haven't connected these cases yet, and at this point, they think it's two different isolated incidences. Well, um, things are kind of quiet until October 23rd, same year, 1972, Wendell Hubbard, seven-year-old African-American boy who lives just a few blocks away from the first attack where Douglas was attacked. He lives about 124th, 125th Street area, six blocks from the first murder. He was outside playing. His mom, Mary, checked on him periodically until around 5.30 when she called for him to come in and he didn't come in or answer. This wasn't like Wendell to not answer or come inside, and Mary was very aware of the two previous attacks. So, of course, she goes into full-fledged panic mode at this point, like any, oh, like anybody would. So she, But remaining level-headed, she immediately calls police to have the search for Wendell to begin. The police scour the area, questioning kids in the neighborhood, but all their initial efforts, unfortunately, turned up nothing. Um, it's about five and a half hours later, four and a half hours later, almost 10 o'clock that same night, a couple of kids were playing in a building where Wendell lives on the roof and they found the little boy unresponsive. They fucking ran out of there like they were on fire and notified the police immediately. And of course they did check and he was unfortunately dead. Moments later, he was identified by his mother. Uh, police searched the building, knocking on every door, questioning everyone who lived there as, and as to if they saw anything. And once again, just all these efforts have turned up nothing. Nobody has seen anything. Nobody heard anything. And this is over how long of a stretch of time? Okay, we started together? in March, and yeah, now this... we're in October, so seven months. Ugh, that's, man... And you would think, uh, I mean, Mary Hubbard, of course, was on high alert, but it kind of seemed like maybe nobody else was keeping an eye out, or maybe if they were, that the attacks were just that quick and swift that nobody had a chance to see or hear anything. I mean, it sounds fucking brutal. 38 fucking stab wounds. I mean, the kid is like, what, less than 10 years old? Uh, he really isn't that big of a person that would warrant that many stab wounds, but... This is so an average one every two months-ish for the time frame. Not, I'm not able to figure out if this is a product or a process killer. Well, like the previous victims, Wendell was also stabbed multiple times, 17 to be exact. He was also sexually assaulted, and his privates were also removed. Um, yeah, this shit's getting heavy. To be found later or just removed and missing? Uh, it, honestly, I didn't find any time that there was something found later, they do divulge that in the research. So I'm guessing that since it said that it wasn't located, I'm guessing that it wasn't located, um, unfortunately. Okay. Um, Moving on. So a few months later, we're now in 1973. It's March 7th. A couple blocks away from the previous attacks, 10-year-old Puerto Rican boy, Luis Ortiz, is found dead in the basement stairwell. 
that his building was located at a West 106th Street. When questioned by police, his mother said that she sent Lewis to the store, so he was out running an errand, uh, to get some milk and bread. Uh, she said that was on the evening of March 6th, about 8.15. The store employee, when they questioned him, he remembered Lewis coming in to buy the milk and bread. He was 30 cents short, but I'm guessing that he covered the little boy. Uh, his family searched that whole night, and then, of course, March 7th, the next day, you know, they called police, and this is when shit starts to ensue. This sounds exactly like that, um, uh, I'm totally blanking on the, uh, urban legend story of, uh, Cropsey. Oh, yes. Cropsey like a, out of Staten Island, which, yeah. by the way, if you get a chance to check out a documentary, director Joshua Zeman, as in Z-E-A-M-A-N, he did a documentary called Cropsey, most excellent. He did another one called Killer Legends, highly recommend both. But anyway, getting back to the case. Um, so his family searched for him all that night. In the article I read, they felt the need to add the detail that when Lewis's body was located... There was no milk and bread with the boy. So he apparently, I'm guessing. Oh, I'm glad they put that detail in there. I don't know what significance that put in there, but there was no none. milk and bread. Fucking but none. he did go to the store. He did leave the store. So I'm guessing the attacker. Oh, he didn't load that in with him when he snatched him? So anyway, Lewis, unfortunately, was stabbed 38 times. And again, his penis was removed. Okay, so he's slightly changed his Right, we're no longer on a rooftop. We're now in a basement stairwell, but... He's changed the type he's gone after now, so... I'm thinking... Okay, they did put in here that they think that if it was connected, that the boy was maybe kind of in the dark and mistaken for an African-American boy... Because maybe he was he was mistaken for a lighter skinned African boy. They put that in there. If they wanted to, the police were like, "Well, if we connect this, you know, why is all of a sudden he attacking Puerto Rican boys now?" So they think that the killer might have kind of seen him in a darker light, thought he was black, made the attack. Holy shit, he's not black. He's Puerto Rican. I mean, or the fact that he's potentially running out of the type that he's looking for or you know at some point you know it seems seems to be a pattern that they kind of are very careful early on with how they're doing shit and the more and more they keep doing it the sloppier they end up getting towards they get into the uh the maniacal like last bits where they're uh, caught or busted where they get super sloppy and they forget oh where'd i put that screwdriver i don't want to give it away but their color does play into this and I'll, i'll get to that but anyway after this attack The leads, the calls, tips come flooding in. Hundreds of people called in with many tips that went nowhere. And a few actually did help with the details to the description of the attacker. So a lot of it ended up going nowhere, but they did get a couple of needles out of the haystack. So the suspect drawing was made with okay i had to like really read this and then i just copy and pasted this because there was no way to really put this in my own words the process they use so the the suspect drawing was made from a photo montage machine that was owned by the rockland county bureau of identification 
It was a process of using real photo overlays to get the right facial features. And they could also, you know, like lay this set of eyes or this type of chin or whatever, but they could also block out other areas just focusing on, say, like the chin or nose. Anyway, um, the, the process uses photo overlays. Okay, from there, the witness can change or agree on features shown. It was stated that the process, and here's where I just copied this, it said, had assisted in solving five out of every hundred cases in which it had been utilized, which that doesn't sound like groundbreaking numbers there, but police officials felt this was a good method to use because it gave more realism to the face as opposed to a sketch. Hmm. Right. right so when they finally get the composite of the attacker done the face was posted in the news and newspapers it's like everywhere and his face was very close to a uh, was very close to the description given by the unnamed 10 year old boy that was attacked in april of 72 again the boy described a thin man with a mole on his cheek and walked with a limp but now we have more details. His attacker, is, uh, they say here, is Hispanic, uh, about 30 to 40 years old, thin, slender, about 5'7", five, 5'10", five, with a mole on his cheek, as well as having like acne scars or pock marks, whatever you want to call it. So police are getting optimistic that, hey, we have more details now. We have more of a face to this monster and it's now March 9th, 1973. Get out there and start wrangling up the Hispanics. <laughs> well, a couple of days after Luis Ortiz's murder and um, a year after the first attack, the police came out publicly about these cases finally being connected. The lack of leads, the lack of momentum in the case, and the lack of po uh, police protection has the neighborhood in just a frenzy they go to the local police station and they are demonstrating they've got signs they are pissed off they want answers their kids are scared i mean there are kids that are like one of the stories i read in here was one of the kids uh parents was putting him to bed and they found like a screwdriver under his pillow in case you know chop off charlie charlie chop off my bed you know came to get him so like this fear is paralyzing this neighborhood and everyone in it. So um, many were scared to let their children even out of their sights, and all they wanted was the responsible person to be caught. From this demonstration, though, there was more police put on the case and a little more transparency in the details. Uh, they can't be too transparent because, you know, they don't want to blow in an ongoing investigation. Right. So this is when neighborhood children started calling the attacker Charlie Chopoff. And, of course, the news caught wind of this name, and it just, it caught on like wildfire. It's unfortunately snazzy. Yeah. I don't know if they had like a little jingle to go with it, but yeah. Oh, God. Uh, that would be terrifying if they did. So now, let's see, we were at March 9th. It's a couple weeks later, March 23rd. A local Bronx woman calls the police to tell them that she might know who the killer is. And what she told them fit the profile of who they thought the killer was. Um, she said that the guy's name was Erno, 
Erno Soto. I have to say that a little slower. I'll spit all over my microphone. Erno. Erno. Anyway, uh, she said Erno is who they were looking for. He not only lived in the area, but he had recently been in a mental institution and had a tendency to display violent behaviors. Of course, police questioned some of his relatives, but they claimed that he hasn't been seen since November and that he was taller than the description given. So, of course, the police is like, kind of like, well, good enough for me. And they move on and expanding their search. Uh, Police are passing out flyers, knocking on doors. They have questioned over 100 suspects at this point, and they have even called Interpol, like the world fucking police. Wow. And once again, they got nothing except for what they have, which is just this description, and they don't even know if that's really real. So, I mean, yeah, it's really real because, you know, all these people are saying it. Well, it's now August and it's about August 17th, and it's about 5.30 p.m., and a woman that lives... All right, this one gets a little weird because I just kind of question the oddity of this, but a woman that lives at 325 East Houston Street apartment building is out walking her dog on the rooftop. That's where it's it's like, uh, okay, because this body was located on the rooftop, and she was out walking her dog. I was thinking, oh, she's out walking her dog. She's, you know, going down the stairwell. Bam, she finds this body in the stairwell. No, she's walking her dog, apparently on the rooftop. And she finds the dead body of a little, another little African-American boy. She immediately calls police. I would love to hear that description. So I was walking my dog. On the roof. And bam, found a body. So police processed the scene and began questioning everyone that uh, they encountered in the neighborhood. Sorry, I had to take a drink. His parents are located and the little boy is identified as seven-year-old Stephen Cropper. They last saw him at 4.30 at their home, uh, just a few blocks away from where the body was found. He was outside playing, of course. Police didn't think this was the work of Charlie Chopoff. Uh, I typed that note there for a reason, so I guess I'm going to get into this. But, okay, so you thought shit was real serious before, but we, yeah. we are about to get real serious. Oh, no. So. It was real serious before. The New York Deputy Chief Medical Examiner at the time is the one and only Dr. Michael Bodden. As oh, in shit. HBO Autopsy Dr. Bodden, as in like. When you want fucking answers, you call Dr. Baden. He needs his own Hugo Stiglitz kind of stinger sound. Well, Dr. Baden did Stephen uh, his autopsy and determined that Stephen died as a result. And I, I did not know this, but he um, died as a result of a lacerated artery in his left arm. Like, I knew we had arteries all over, but they actually say that the location of the artery was in his, like, left elbow. And it's like, wow, you got a fucking artery in your left elbow? Damn. So, anyway, dropping some knowledge there. More you know. There was no sign of sexual assault, and his privates were still intact. However, there was an X, like X marks the spot, deeply sliced into his chest post-mortem. This is somebody else. So, 
that's why they think that this ain't Charlie Chopoff, but they're still keeping it in the realm of possibility. The, at the police conference, they say they don't believe that this case was connected to the previous attacks. Another photo of the suspect was made by the same method as Charlie Chopoff's suspect photo, and it was circulated around town. More leads, of course, are coming in now. More sex offenders and drug addicts are questioned. They actually, they started questioning drug addicts uh, for a reason. Police speculate since he carried a razor, he could be a junkie. So they started questioning people at local methadone clinics. I mean, okay, but I feel like that's a desperate stretch. I mean, hey man, we've got fucking little boys being slaughtered left and right. Desperate sailed a week ago. So, you know what? If they can find their fucking killer to methadone clinic, good good thinking there. But anyway. He needs a methadone clinic. um, They are questioning, and of course, local cops include Long Island, the five boroughs, New Jersey, Westchester, and Connecticut into their investigation. Because, I mean... Shit's real. Yeah. Like, we have kids being carved up. It's been going too long. Well, it's now August 21st, and the police get a phone call from a Nina. Uh, Nina is like an anagram for this company name, but Nina Comprehensive Health Service Center employee calls police and told them that a guy was there for a job interview that strongly resembled the photo. Uh, he was picked up by police at the job interview and taken in for questioning. Word of this taking him in spread like wildfire about the uh, and n- the New York Times printed a story about the latest suspect, also printing his name, age, and address. So good okay, going. I can't see how anything could go wrong from that. Good going, New York fucking Times. Well, witnesses to the attack were brought in. Oh, by the way, he he was identified as, there was a name given, but I didn't trust the reliability of the website that I was getting that from because they had a couple of things like wrong. Uh, I'm going off of, and I'll give my source later, but uh, the only name that they had in the resource I was reading was L. Gonzalez, age 22. So we'll just refer to him as Mr. Gonzalez. They call him L, as in the... So witnesses to the attack were brought in, but said that Mr. Gonzalez, quote, was not the person they had seen, end quote. So while witnesses were, uh, you know, being questioned, and not questioned, but why they were basically saying, hey, this guy isn't the guy we saw. This is going on inside the police station. Outside the police station is another demonstration forming with neighborhood people. They were gathering outside the police station and they wanted blood. Like they were saying to the cops, give us this guy or else. They were just playing ACDC's We Want Blood over and over and over. So police wanted to release Gonzalez, but more than 500 scared residents turned mob made that nearly impossible. uh, People were jumping barricades, getting on rooftops, jumping on police cars. One angry resident even had a noose made from a clothesline, and this would continue for well over two hours. So this is the real-life version of Evil Dies Tonight. 
yeah, uh, except, you know, these people aren't listening to reason that, hey, this dude is clear. He was not the man seen. A mob not listening to reason? Get out of town. Right. So anyway, police ended up coming, like, they, they need to get this guy out of here. So they dress Gonzalez up like a local police officer in an attempt to get him out of the station. <laughs> Fake mustache and shit. All of them made it to a police panel truck and drove off, but then the crowd soon caught on to the ruse. But by that time, Gonzalez was already gone, and soon after, the crowd dispersed. So He's got a fake mustache! Get him! Well, um, let's see. What day was that? That was August 21st. It is eight days later, now August 29th. A man named Daniel Olivio? I hope I'm saying that name right. It doesn't matter. This guy's a scumbag, so fuck his name. 30 years old, he was indicted on sexual abuse charges. He assaulted a five-year-old boy at a park at 172nd Street. Anyway, the boy managed to get away, get back to his dad. Police were called. This motherfucker is arrested. Weird thing, Daniel fits the Charlie Chopoff description. He was 5'7", he walked with a limp, dark complected with a pockmarked face. <laughs> what are the odds? His arrest was not made public at, because of what happened with the <laughs> Gonzalez incident. Well, I have another fake mustache incident here. So sir. I actually called this the Gonzalez incident. So anyway, and that was a good thing for Daniel Olivio because he actually was clear to being Charlie Chopoff. He's just a child molester. So wow. um, what a that that should give you a a sense of the weight of this case when you're like, oh, he's just a pedophile. Whew. Right. So, again, police and investigators are back at square one. I mean, we're well over a year into this, and they just, they have people who have seen it. They have a surviving uh, victim, and they just, they have nothing. Guaranteed somebody's throwing furniture around the office, around the workplace. When that day comes where they're like, and we're back at one. All right, so it's now May 24th, 1974. We're like year two into this. A familiar name in the investigation comes up again, old Erno Soto. The guy, uh, the local Bronx woman name dropped back uh, in March 23rd. Like, so over a year ago, she name dropped this guy. The roof dog walker? Well, he is busted trying to kidnap a nine-year-old Hispanic boy. He is arrested and taken into, uh, he's taken into custody, but he is sent to a prison psychiatric hospital for further evaluation. In addition to Erno fitting the description, police discovered that Bellevue Hospital, where he was taken for evaluation, well, it also served as Erno's residence from time to time because he would check in, check out, come back, check in, check out, you know, that kind of thing. And Bellevue is, one, 20 blocks from the first murder, 27 blocks from the second murder, across the street from where the boy attacked and survived, and Stephen Cropper that was murdered. It, so it's basically across the street from the surviving boy and where Stephen Cropper was attacked. And Erno's dad lives in that same neighborhood. Hmm. Right. Well, after learning all these interesting facts, police bring in the witness again, the boy, and they identify him as the man. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't just the boy. It was all the witnesses. Um, 
and they identify him as the man they saw at the scene. Then Erno, caught like this, he confesses to killing Stephen Cropper. So, delving a little more, oh shit, my the oven's going off. I'm going to have evil take over for one second while I get the uh, lasagna out of the oven. My apologies for this. So, evil, what are your thoughts so far on this? Uh, I really think that this should be, uh, when this all concludes, I don't know where this is going to conclude. But I feel this should probably conclude with something very light and airy for next week or two weeks out kind of thing. Like, maybe it should be a commentary for a fun movie or something. Uh, maybe, uh, there's a feature film out there that one of your listeners maybe digs that may want to, uh, have your two cents put in on, so... Uh, I'm kind of pushing for a commentary or something kind of uh, more lighter in tone for the next episode to kind of be a palate cleanser from this this beast of a show. So any uh, suggestions you might have, we have a, an extensive film coll- collection, so uh, throw a suggestion at us, possibly. Uh, what do you think about that for next week? I do think that's a brilliant idea, and I did take care of that, and I got ten more minutes. So anyway... Uh, Delvino, Multitasking, like, like yes, crazy. I am talking about crime and making lasagna. Sounds so, like you're a real housewife of horrors. Yes, and um, I will be, of course, enjoying this lasagna later tonight after quick, I after I get my appetite back. Quick, quick side note to make it more housewife horrorish. What's something you do about your lasagna that's different from like what I used to have? What makes your lasagna better than what I had to deal with? Uh, in years previous from different places. What's your your big secret? Uh, I don't really have a secret. I, I don't know. I just kind of make a traditional bland white girl lasagna. Yeah, but you do have always one standard question when you make a lasagna. Do you make it with ricotta or ricotta cheese? Okay. I am not big on Italian cheeses, so I go cottage cheese. So I'm sorry if that is disrespectful or not right but i just a little bit of ricotta goes a long way and i just can't do a whole lasagna of it that's a nice mini palate cleanser in between all of this murder and mayhem so back to the dark side of things all right well delving a little more into his private life they learned that erno had separated from his wife um and during that break he his, was married yes yeah. um and he will get into all that anyway he was married they separated. Well, during that break, his wife gets in a relationship with a black man, and they have a baby together. Oh, the plot is thickening. So it's theorized that even though... Okay, so I guess the relationship with the African-American gentleman ended. She and Erno get back together. So it's theorized that even though he outwardly accepted the biracial child... Inside, he did not accept the kiddo, and the whole situation was fucking with him mentally. All of this combined caused him to act out on young boys of color. Erno, uh, this fits into the profile theories, which we will get to some profile theories down at the end, but he also spent time in a mental institution from 1969 to about 1970 and was in and out throughout 1972 to 73, and he was also treated for being a heroin addict. Ah, so that actually paid off. 
Yes. So, I mean, the, well, their I efforts were my, all for nothing. I take back my criticisms of going with that route of, of, of crime solving. Okay, so I'm going to skip down to the theories because I don't want to get to that at the end. I want to get to it. So, police at this point believe that the killer uh, is to be believed to be a non-white man because a white man would have been noticed or remembered in that neighborhood. Ah. It is also theorized the attacker that used the names Tony and Michael had spent time in a mental institution and released in 1971 or the beginning of 1972. Hmm. A police psychologist theorized that the attacker was afraid of women and hasn't come to terms with his own homosexuality. Uh, he also said that since two of the three attacks took place in early March and almost on the same day, uh, that this could be some kind of significant time frame or anniversary for the attacker. Maybe like that baby his wife had with another man's birthday they speculate it could be this little boy's birthday he of course can't accept this little boy because he is partially black um and, and now and he's he a, he's afraid dicks might be delicious to him <laughs> anyway and it is last theory here it is also theorized that the attacker could be a and i actually just quoted all this uh be a quote tightly controlled type of person the quiet lovable nice guy in the neighborhood type who could generally hide his anger and anxiety under a facade however he might be triggered by something and fly into a psychotic episode prompting him to act out to get relief so those are the theories they believe about that now i gotta find my place here it was we left off on he was a heroin addict <laughs> so um Erno Soto is just fitting, like, it, it. he's hitting all these nails on the head. Checking all the marks. Right. So, it seems the direction of this case was heading towards closure, but all that changed when they brought the surviving boy, the 10-year-old who was attacked in April of 72, and gave the first witness description. They bring him back in to identify Erno Soto as his attacker. The little boy couldn't positively identify Erno. Then officials at the hospital were saying that, um, um, oh yes, the hospital that the mental institution he was at. So the police go there and they start questioning shit. Well, this is where shit gets kind of sketchy-er. So officials at the hospital where Erno was staying claimed that he was, quote, confined at the time of the Stephen Cropper murder that he apparently confessed to however though when police kept pressuring and further questioning stuff uh he would leave sometimes with permission like on a weekend pass and other times he would just leave without signing out so there was a possibility that he was out of the hospital at the time of the attacks but his record of being there gave room for reasonable doubt so he was slipping in and out of this fucking mental institution. So he could have been there. He may not have been there. I don't, it doesn't sound like they were doing any kind of like 15, 20 minute hour fucking checks. Nothing. Like what kind of fucking mental institution is this? Sounds like a, sounds like a goddamn hotel. So, of course, reasonable doubt. That will get you off every time. 
because if you just have that 1% chance that it could not be that person, that that's all it takes. But anyway, okay, despite the hospital being irresponsible when it came to his whereabouts, Erno Soto was tried for murder. At the trial, expert psychiatrists evaluated him as, quote, a walking time bomb in the need of constant surveillance and is dangerous. Is there somebody at the door? Okay, maybe not. Um, anyway, um, they also explained that his outbursts of violence, quote, stemmed from his religious decisions and need for ritual. So maybe these boys being castrated was some sort of sick fucking ritual in his mind. Like satanic panic mode or okay, this is going to sound very crass and this is horrible, but because his wife cheated with a black dude, he's attacking these black boys. So in some kind of sick, twisted revenge on the man who impregnated his wife, maybe he's afraid they're all going to grow up and steal his wife. Uh, Yeah. And it's like, you ain't got no dick. You ain't going to be getting no women. So not taking my woman. Okay, unfortunately, lots of unfortunately's through this. (laughs) More one giant big unfortunately. Unfortunately, without any physical evidence, the confession that he gave about killing Stephen Cropper wasn't enough, so he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. The judge did not, (sighs) the judge did not agree with this, but he is bound by law. They followed that... Is that even a thing anymore? Like, I know that was at one point, but is that, is reason of insanity still a thing anymore? Yes. Really? Yes. I thought thought with modern medicine and science and shit, they're like, yeah, it's not really a thing. So the concrete evidence just isn't there, and that leaves room for reasonable doubt. Always rely on that hard evidence. However, though, he was diagnosed as schizophrenic, and he was sent to a maximum security psychiatric hospital for life. He should be D.O., but should he be deemed no longer mentally ill and a threat to society, he could be released. So, let that resonate. This guy is, uh, honestly, my I believe it's this dude. Like, it's just too coincidental. There is too many parallels. But anyway, we ain't done. We're to 1976 now. Wait, we're still going? Uh, Yeah, but this is just kind of some after stuff. So in 1976, the New York Times did another story about the case, reiterating details of the case, uh, reiterating details about suspect Erno Soto, the verdict, and the ending of the story with uh, Erno uh, being institutionalized in a maximum security. This means there's no fucking weekend passes for him. Uh, Evil's going to take over for a minute while I pull my... Uh, lasagna out of the oven. So what are you thinking so far again? Uh, I mean, we, we've we talked in the past about a hard evidence thing is the real make-or-breaker for stuff. And yeah, eyewitness testimonies and stuff like that is notoriously the most unreliable evidence you can uh, depend on. But uh, yeah, it's just... Heavy duty stuff, but definitely looking forward to this lasagna. What's your favorite uh, 
a murder mystery uh, murder show uh, tie-in food that you like that. Do you have a favorite dish when you're watching your either Unsolved Mysteries, Forensic Files, whatever show happens to be on, HBO specials. When I kind of watch that, I don't know. I'm just kind of snacking, maybe. I don't... Do you have a snack, then? What's your... I don't really, you know, get hungry from murder, but... No, no one gets hungry from murder, but, you know, sometimes you have... Like, you know, football uh, dipshits are always, like, they got their chips and their ribs and all that stuff. Like, do you have this something that's (laughs) a standard go-to? No, I don't. Anyway, mm. back to things. So he's in a maximum security. He can't be like getting out on passes, slipping out undetected. None of that shit's going down anymore. And he's been in there since the mid seventies, late seventies. Uh, yes, since seventy four. So this is just two years down the road that New York Times is running this story. In that article, they did note one important little detail. They said that once he was locked up, that the young boys of color murders did stop. At least in the area. Is there any reports of them well, I mean, going on in other states? Like of course, lots moved? of people are getting, you know, fucking killed in the state of New York. It's New York City. It's crowded. It's, you know. But yeah, anyway, but I feel like No, this, these type of murders, the Charlie chop off, the little boys getting assaulted this, and cut this up. Method this method stopped. It. This stopped. Hmm. So, the case today is unsolved and is still open. The article that I was reading for this research stated, uh, actually, this was the second article, the one that had some unreliabilities in it. Anyway, it said, quote, recent attempts to learn if he, meaning Erno Soto, was still alive proved to be difficult. But if he, oh, I'm sorry, uh, I, this is the same article I'm reading. I read a couple of them and I try to differentiate in here. So anyway, um, They said that if he is alive, he would be in his late 60s. So this article was made in 2008, so that's another 14 years. This guy would be like 75 today. Um, And this article was backed up with credible references. I'm talking like New York Times articles of the Times, everything like that. So I got this from the Crime Library from True TV, which unfortunately is no longer, but you can still access their files through the Wayback Machine. So um, I was going to give them props for having a credibly backed up crime and serial killer library, but like I said, they no are long. The they are no longer operational. Um. There was another suspect uh, name that was thrown into this, as, uh, and the name was Miguel Rivera. However, it was later determined that Miguel was an alias that Erno Soto used. So if you hear the name Miguel Rivera through this, it was Erno. Um, it is widely believed, including police and investigators, and I believe it too, that uh, Erno Soto is Charlie Chopoff. I mean, he's uh, got he's got the mental capacity that uh, the mental profile that they're talking about. He's got fucking a fucked up motive, but he has motive. He was in the area. He knows people in the area. He was seen in the area. He no, man. No, it's it's too coincidental to not be. I'm looking at the dude's sketch uh, at the moment. and I'm. Yeah, they're in bullshit about this mole on his face. That fucking thing is huge. Oh, yes, and I will, of course, have visual aids, like I always do. Because if you're like me, I like faces to names. Like, I want to see this skeezy bastard. Uh, this mole looks like it's about ready to tell me to start the reactor. Um, by the way, there is actually a newspaper 
um, I will be posting this one too. There's a newspaper article from the time um, where he's being sent to the mental health facility. It's him in a wheelchair, but he's completely covered up. So you only see his feet, unfortunately. Okay, this is where I got a little confused with my articles. Right here I said, I was able to find a more recent article about the case, January 16th of this year, and they ended on, quote, while due to privacy laws, which I believe because HIPAA is now a thing, we can't be sure Soto uh, is still, uh, we can't be sure, but Soto is still believed to be incarcerated in a high security institution and is unlikely to ever be released. Um, I found some incorrect details in their telling of the story. So how true that statement is, I don't know. I spent the next couple of hours actually like doing all kinds of different name researches. Uh, and just there's no fucking details as to like he's locked up. It's the 70s and it's been left at that. Like they haven't really said anything more. Um they didn't really, I mean, besides that Daniel Ol Oliveri guy and that L. Gonzalez, they haven't really focused on any other suspects. Um, you think they more or less, like, they they say it's open, but they more or less have, have, like, silently closed case? Like, it, yeah, it's all more than likely him, but since we can't officially say it, we can't officially close it, but we're not really investigating because we're pretty sure that was the case. Okay, I believe that that it is open officially. The transparency shows that it is an open case. However, I feel for the police and investigators that were connected to this case, maybe it is closed in their hearts and minds because they believe also that it is Erno. Um, I believe... I think they got the guy. I think the only thing that just, they didn't have the nail in the coffin, that one the final nail. Gun. They didn't have, and I think if they went back through that evidence today, I'd like to believe they could find some kind of fucking DNA evidence, some kind of saliva, semen, blood, something. Didn't the kid scratch the fucking guy? I mean, I feel like these kids would have, you know, Fight or flight, man. I think everybody's going to try to fight back, and that's going to result in some kind of scratch, some kind of fucking DNA. I think if they did that today with all the advances we've had, I think this shit would be bona fide, certified, sealed, as Erno Soto is Charlie Chopoff. Maybe they need, uh, the police need to consult their Crane Boys mystery workbooks that evidence is rarely elementary, but often evidentiary. Thank you for that. So on that note, um, this brings us to the end of this case. Uh, as brutal and gruesome as it was, next next episode we will try to bring you something lighter. I actually had a case that kind of does play into some movie entertainment. and I honestly would love... Uh, to see your detective and research skills put to a cryptid. Uh, Honestly. We can do that, but uh, I have this next case lined up, which kind of does fit into a more entertainment Hollywood motif. Um, still kind of brutal, though. And then <laughs> we have another request uh, from someone who had requested something before. She came at me again and was like, hey, what about this? And I'm like, all right. 
So on that note, you can follow Housewife of Horrors on Instagram and Facebook where I do post uh, links so you can listen to the shows. I post visual aids to go with those shows so you can have faces to names, see what the victims look like, maybe sometimes see the neighborhood it occurred in, but you can follow me there. You can send me a request there. You can drop me a fan letter, a line, whatever you like. If not, no pressure. So on that note, Again, thank you for listening, and I appreciate all the love, support, requests, hearts, clicks, all of that. So, and we will be talking to you here soon in our next show. So, you guys stay safe out there and have a great day.